Uh, well, this morning, what I want to talk about is, uh, is bad habits and uh, how to break bad habits, how to apply God's power um, to breaking the bad habits in our lives. Uh, we all have some habits that uh, probably are better off not having. Um, we have to deal with this reality of destructive, sinful inclinations. And uh, they get in the way of our lives. They get in the way of our relationships. And oftentimes we know that we need to break through free of them. You know, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, whether it be uh, an anger issue or a lust issue or a jealousy, arrogance, uh, self-absorption, pride, uh, substance abuse, you name it. The list can just go on and on and on. And oftentimes these issues are, are very complex. Uh, they're multifaceted. They're, they're challenging to wrestle through. And even when someone gets to the place where they want to change, the question is how? How do you change? Uh, and you may have noticed that, uh, that these issues don't just go away and they don't oftentimes disappear because you've, you've placed your faith in Christ, right? Uh, sometimes they do. Uh, but oftentimes there's a process to it, and there's still the reality of having to deal with these. And, and again, the question becomes how? how. How do we, who even with new life in Christ, how do we deal with some of the old drives, those desires, those destructive kinds of habits, and, and break free from them? Um, what's, what's the strategy? A lot of different strategies can be applied. Uh, some will choose... Uh, a denial strategy. You know, let's just kind of smile and hide that habit and just pretend like everything's okay. Everything's good. Nothing to see here. I'm fine. You're fine. Everybody's fine. Now, can we change the subject and talk about something else real quick, right? And oftentimes, um, the subject gets changed from what's wrong with me to what's wrong with everybody else and everything else around the world? In which case, you can know that your problem is um, a critical spirit. <laughs> and, and you're the only one who doesn't know it, possibly. Uh, believe me, I've been there before, so I'm speaking from experience. Um, others will swing in an opposite direction. And, and there's this willingness to talk about everything. You know, just lay it all out there, but without any kind of expectation of ever actually dealing with the issues, right? Just, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to spill it all out. Here's all the areas that I'm struggling with. And, and the honesty is, is admirable, but without a plan to deal with it, um, the years just go on with that same struggle remaining, that same old issue. And it turns into a life identifying, a, a, an identifying mark of their lives. One other option that I've come across is strategy of just who cares? What's, what's the big deal? Do we really have to make that big an issue over these things? Because after all, isn't God gracious, right? And if God is gracious and we have the promise of his forgiveness, then why am I going to get bought, bent all out of shape about trying to change something that's going to take a lot of effort and intentionality? Because the grace of God is going to wipe it all clean anyway. So let's just live the way we want and do the things that we want to do. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, it's actually written to, to address 
people who were kind of thinking through that last strategy. They were taking a who cares kind of uh, approach to, to the issues, uh, to, to the habits in their lives. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up there. Uh, it'll also be right behind me on the screen. And, and the Apostle Paul here lays out a game plan uh, for how those who have new life in Christ can deal with those old stubborn habits that reside and remain in our lives. So let me read, I'm gonna start in verse one and read the first uh, 10 verses. It says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. All right, let me just stop there. And we're gonna try to unpack that passage a little bit. It's kind of dense. Uh, there's a lot of like, deep theological truths that I'm hoping we can make incredibly and intensely practical because this is life-transforming life information. It, it highlights three realities. These are realities that apply to every redeemed child of God. And, and maybe you notice that in these 10 verses I just read, there's not a single instruction for us to actually do anything. Uh, there's no commands um, because breaking bad habits doesn't start with doing, it, it starts with knowing. Uh, three times, actually, Paul talks about knowing, about being aware of these critical realities. And, and so this is a case where, where knowledge really is power. Knowing who you are in Christ is, is critical uh, to breaking those, those bad habits because the reality is, here's the reality, once your life gets connected to Christ, what this passage is telling us is that you are no longer who you used to be. Something on the wholesale level of your identity has changed. And, and the core issue comes down to identity. It, it, it comes to this terms of coming to terms with who we are since our lives have gotten connected to Christ. So reality check number one is that if you are in new Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are made into someone new. And so Paul, when he starts off in this passage, he asks the question. This is the same question the readers were wondering about. If God's grace is so great, then why don't we just go on living a life of sin so that grace could abound, you know? Um, and, and, and the answer he gives to that question, it's not a moral answer. He doesn't say, no, we shouldn't do that because it's wrong or it's bad. His answer is, you can't. That it's 
incongruent with who you are and this new identity you have since your life has gotten connected to Christ. Because in Christ, you're no longer who you used to be. And, and so the core issue comes down to an issue of identity. Who am I? See, when Christ enters into our lives, he changes us at the level of identity. He makes us into new creations in such a way that the person we once were be, before he came into our lives isn't the person we now are since he has. So God isn't just in the renovation business. He, he is in the regeneration business. Okay, there's a big difference between the two. When you place your faith in Jesus, God doesn't just dust you off and send out a cleaned up version of the old you. Okay, that, that's kind of renovation. He creates something brand new. So, so grace isn't just like hitting the second chance button. Grace is hitting the brand new button. Okay, it, it marks the start of an entirely new identity. And the defining feature of this new life is that your life is wrapped up together with Jesus in such a way that you can't talk about who you are accurately without understanding and referring to who Christ is. That's how close and intimately our lives get connected with his. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.15, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That, that's... That's the identity of who we are in Jesus. It's what the Christian life is all about. And, and in this passage, Paul illustrates it through, through baptism. You know, we, we did baptisms here just a couple of weeks ago. And, and baptism, in a very real way, is both a funeral ceremony and a birth announcement, all wrapped up together in one thing. So the idea is that the person who goes into the water is not the same person who comes out. Right, The person who goes in, that represents that old you before Jesus was a part of your life. And then you go under the water to completely understand that uh, that, that symbolizes that that old person is dead and buried with Christ. And then you come out the other side as someone who's brand new, who's alive to God. And this is just a statement that Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection has been personally applied to your life. What happened to him applies to you through faith in Christ. And so think of, think of the metamorphosis of a, of a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? A caterpillar is this long, smushy, slow, fuzzy kind of thing that just shuffles along with his legs on the ground. But then after it goes in that chrysalis and, and comes out the other side, what comes out the other side is not a caterpillar with wings. That's not what it is, right? It's, it's something completely different. It's new. It's a butterfly. And everything about life on the other side of that chrysalis is different. And it has to adjust. It has to learn how to fly like a butterfly and not crawl around on the ground like a caterpillar anymore. There's a new identity for him to grab hold of. And, and, and so that's the same concept of how the Christian life gets lived out. There's a new identity to grab hold of. And, and so reality check number one is that identity is everything. And, and I can speak personally from my own walk with the Lord and, 
And any steps of spiritual progress that I've made has come and emerged from understanding who I am in him. That's, that is so critical and crucial and foundational, that, that I am who he says I am, that I am a new creation in Christ. Every step forward has come from that, understanding that, and, and, and then living out that conviction that I've been born again to fly, not to crawl, and learning how to do that. So that's reality check number one. Second reality check is that the old you has been dead and buried. Okay, the obituary notice, it's posted right there in, in verse 6, and Paul wrote this, he writes this, we know, again he says, know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin should be done away with. Again, theological truths that are critical to understanding how life transformation works. The old you, right, that you who would existed before Jesus got a hold of your life, or you could say that BC you, right, uh, the one that had that appetite for destruction, uh, the one who lived to sin, the one who can't help but give in to sin. Here's the reality. That guy is gone. Oh, really? What happened to him? Well, according to this passage, he died. Where did he die? He died on the cross. Who did he die with? Jesus, when he was crucified. This, this is a mystical, spiritual profound truth that honestly we cannot comprehend this on just physical terms it's a something we trust and take by faith that 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 god put the old us there and crucified him on the cross with jesus that this is a reality to embrace and grab hold of and the power to break those bad habits okay here's the thing it doesn't come from the will right it comes from the cross. That's where the victory was won. When, when you're born again, Jesus' cross turns into your own story. So you're no longer just a spectator watching to what happened to him. In, in a very real way, we're active participants. When he died, we died. That old person who we were before he came is, is died, and it's something we take by faith. J.G. Uh, J. Mantle wrote this. He said, there is a difference between realizing on that cross he was crucified for me. That's one thing. And he said, here's the difference is on that cross I am crucified with him. He says, his death means we're delivered from sin's condemnation. But our death means we're delivered from sin's power. It's a very profound but very essential thing to grab hold of that reality. Uh, reality check number three is that the new you is alive and set free from sin. That new you that's connected to Christ. The defining feature of new life in Christ is that the power of that old sinful nature has been broken. Verse 6, again, it announces that you're free. It says you're no longer a slave to sin. This is, this is the emancipation proclamation of the Christian life, right? That old you, uh, who you once were, that couldn't help but give in to sin, uh, that couldn't break those habits, that guy is dead and buried, and this new you, who's alive to Christ, 
He's no longer subject to the power of sin. It doesn't have the authority to call the shots over your life anymore like it used to. So here's the truth. The reality is the new you has the freedom, has the power to say no. That's a power that the BCU didn't have. That wasn't an option in life before Christ got a hold of your life. Before Jesus, the sin nature just called the shots, said, this is what you're going to do, and you just towed the line and did it. Um, But here's what gets to the crux of the challenge. This is the challenge of the Christian life, is that with the new you, there is still the reality of that old fleshly self acting as if he's in charge, even though he's not. It's what we call the flesh. The old you is shouting and squawking. This is what you need to do. I'm demanding that you do this. And here's the challenge is the question is, am I going to keep on listening to him? Or am I going to embrace the freedom I have in Christ and live that out? You know, the moment Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, every slave in our nation was free. They were set free. It didn't matter if they felt like they were free. Freedom was a matter of fact. They were no longer bound by what their former masters commanded them to do. The truth they needed to know was that they were free. But that truth wasn't enough because they had to then, after they understood that, they had to apply that freedom. They had to get up and they had to walk out from the bondage that they were in. And in a very real way, that applies to the life of living out our freedom in Christ. Now, each of these reality checks that we're talking about, these are things God has accomplished for us. We don't achieve these. We receive these by faith. And this is about embracing and applying what he's already done for us by reorienting our lives around these realities. You know, I was not too long ago, um, reminded about the idea of institutionalized prisoners. Uh, That's a term that's used to describe prisoners who have spent so much time behind bars that they don't know any other way of life. It's become so normative, and the default is is to just be told what to do. And, And so when they're finally set free, they don't know how to deal with that new freedom, and they just become so dependent on on being what, told what to do every moment of their lives that they actually will look for ways to break their parole because they want to go back to that structure. Even though it's oppressive, even, it's not, even though it's not what's best for them, they want to go back to prison life. You see, in Christ, we are free from the reign of sin. But here's the reality. It takes a radical realignment to apply that freedom and to start living it out. And so we've seen these three transforming truths. The pastor's gonna go on and then show us, here's how to do that. Here's how to reorient our lives and align them so that we can live in this truth and this freedom that we've been given. Um, So here's what it says in verse 10. It says, for the death he died, I'm sorry, verse 11, it says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from 
death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. All right, so there's these realignments. One is to align our lives around our, our new identity. Again, this is, a, this is something that takes place in our minds. It says, in the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, some of the translations says counted or, or reckon it to be. That I think is the old King James version. That's a, that's a statement of force. That's personalizing a truth that you know and making it a truth in your life. In other words, turn that reality that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, make that the anthem of your life. Turn that message on repeat, crank the volume to 10, let it play in surround sound, and let it just echo throughout the hallways of your heart and mind. And so what happens is when that old habit comes knocking around, this is your response. That's not me anymore. That's not what I'm about. The drive is still there, the desire's there, but you just respond and say, no, that's not who I am anymore. You know, the Apostle Paul, he did a lot of that in his own life. He was a guy with a past, and so he had to remind himself, I think, on a regular basis. He writes this in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's his testimony. That's where he's always reorienting himself back to because he... He had, a, he had a pretty checkered past. And there were some things that he had to allow the reality of who he was reign in his life. But the, the truth is we don't fight for victory. We, we fight from victory. And, and the mind is the place where the battle is fought. And that's the place where we do what Paul's telling us to do here. We count ourselves, consider ourselves dead to sin. That in the deepest part of who you are, realize that God has, in fact, made you to be dead to sin and alive to God. He's done that part. We don't do that. Our part is to align our wills and our lives around that realities. And, and so one important thing is to don't expect God to do what he's already done. He's already made you dead to sin and alive to God. And so we have to reckon ourselves or count ourselves that way. Um, some people are saying, I want God to do that work. He's already done that work. It's up to us. This is a part of living out our faith, our Christian faith. Have you ever counted yourself dead to somebody? Have you ever told someone from this point forward, you are dead to me? I, I don't care how many times you text me. I don't care how much you post on my feed. I don't care if you come knocking on my door or if you, I pass you on the street, on the sidewalk. I will not acknowledge you. I hope you haven't had to do that. But there are some creepers out there. So you may have to do that, right? But, uh, but whether that be the case or not, that is the attitude that we're being called to adapt, to adopt when it comes to these, these habits, these stubborn habits to count ourselves, consider ourselves dead to them. Now, take note, this is not about 
trying harder or doing more, right? A lot of people, this is kind of the default mode of many Christians. They just have this myth that in order to break the bad in my life, it's really just a matter of my self-effort. I just have to try really hard. And when I fail, here's the conclusion I always reach. I should have tried harder. I didn't try hard enough. Next time, I'm going to do the same thing and try hard enough. That's not anything that this passage is telling us to do. Try this instead. Bring it back to the identity issue. That's what it's about. It's about identity, not effort. The question is, who am I? Am I and am I living in alignment with who I am? If I am in Christ, then I'm going to live, I'm going to struggle, I'm going to wrestle, but to put my lifestyle in a way that aligns with that. Uh, count yourself dead to sin. Live out that core conviction that sin's reign is dead. And, and the greatest priority is just letting Jesus live out his life through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second realignment is, is to take charge. It says, do not let sins reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Again, this is, this is an action we're called to take to personalize what God has already made true in our lives. God has taken away the power of sin through Jesus. Our step is to exercise that authority by stop giving those habits permission to rule our lives. Uh, taking charge, that starts with when we stop allowing ourselves to give excuses and to make excuses. To stop using phrases like these, I can't help it. Uh, I just have to. That's just the way I am. All that is a partial truth, but if your life is connected to Christ, you're missing out on the identity issue again because that's not who you are since Jesus has become a part of your life. That's a lie. In the deepest part of who you are, you are alive to Christ. And, and those are all explanations of the old you that no longer apply. These are the kind of excuses we come up with oftentimes to allow that reign, that power, to just give it permission to keep on going in our lives. A while back, a long time ago, actually, one of our kids was working at the pet store. He came home, and I said, hey, how did, how did work go today? He said, it was a good day except for one thing. He said, I realized that I've been feeding a dead reptile every day for the past two weeks. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes that's exactly what we do, right? We keep feeding that old flesh, even though that old man is already dead, but we just keep on feeding it. And, and this is calling us to stop that, to take charge, to stop feeding the flesh, starve it, because here's the truth. If you wait until you feel like stopping a bad habit, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because that feeling isn't going to trump the, the push of that desire, of that habit to keep on pulling you in its direction. Stop giving yourself permission. Refuse to make space. Let others into your life. Get accountability. 
practice spiritual disciplines, uh, fasting and, and scripture, meditation, silence, and, and watch the grip loosen. It may not happen overnight, but it will loosen. Uh, last step is dedicate yourself to God. Surrender your life to God on a daily basis. It says, offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. There's, there's no substitute for starting the day with this prayer of offering. Lord, this day is yours and this life is yours. This life is wide open to be used by you without reservation for whatever agenda you have in mind for me. And it's that life that gets busy doing the things of God and it allows the reign of God to take shape in their lives. This, this is what the new you has been created to do. And so grab hold of God's good purposes for your life. Because if you don't know this, it's a lot harder to break a bad habit in and of itself than it is to replace a bad habit with a better one. You see, at the end of the day, our lives are gonna be dedicated to something. The point is to dedicate them to the right thing, to the things of God. Uh, at the end of the day, our lives are all going to be mastered by something. We simply get the option of choosing who our master will be. And this passage makes clear, it's either gonna be sin or our savior, right? Uh, maybe for you, this is the morning when it's past time to rededicate your life to God to lay it all out to him anew and say, I'm yours, Lord. Take my life and let it be consecrated, set apart to thee. God answers that prayer. He fills up hearts that are surrendered to him with his own heart, with his own desires. And that's something we all need on a daily basis. The issue is ultimately one of identity. And that's the main point I wanna leave you with. If you have new life in Christ, your life is wrapped up with his. And that is not meant to be some kind of classroom, textbook, theological abstraction. That truth is meant to sink into the deepest part of our lives and set the tone for everything. See, the bad habits, they have to go not just because they're bad, but because they're not who you are. And God's people, God's redeemed people, we have this resource for resolving these destructive issues in our lives that frankly, the unbelieving world doesn't have access to, right? There is no new man and old man. There's just that one that is given over and dominated by that sinful nature. And this new identity that we have is, it takes us a lot deeper than just try harder. It takes us a lot further than just, all you gotta do is believe yourself. It gives us the ability to go beyond just, so what, I'm not gonna sweat it. Here's the question Paul starts this passage with, how can we who are dead to sin Keep on living in it. How? 
It's the ultimate contradiction. But it's one that we're all familiar with. And so the whole point of the Christian life, the whole point of, of living out this life in Christ and growing into it is, is using the resources of who we are to bring these two things into congruity. Who God through Jesus has made us to be and how our lives slowly but surely reflect that reality. And there's no greater need in our lives than for us to do that. There's no greater need in our families than for our families to see that happening and taking shape in our lives. There's no greater need in our neighborhoods and our places of work than to see God's people, not just, not just being the hypocrites, not just being the ones who are pointing out everything that's going wrong with the world and everyone else and government and politics, but to see that the place is in my own heart and all of that stuff that there that is in the process of being transformed and watching that take shape over the course of maybe a lifetime. That's good. That's worth going after. And we have the resources to do that. If you do not have new life in Christ, if you are here and you're just kicking the tires and you're really interested, uh, but you're not cross that line of faith. What I will tell you is that everything that I've spoken about this morning, it, it doesn't apply to you uh, because this new life in Christ is, as I said, it's, it's received, not achieved, right? And so apart from Christ, all we have is just, you know what, I'm just going to give it my best. I'm going to give it, uh, you know, the best shot that I've got. But it looks completely different when you've opened up your heart and made space for the living God, the Savior who died for you, the one who rose again, who promised that he would come and reside in our hearts, that he would change us from the inside out. And we learn how to cooperate with the agenda that he has for us. And so I would close this morning by just inviting you, if you have not opened up your heart to him, that's the step to take. And watch his Holy Spirit start to do some rearranging on the living room of your heart. And, uh, and, and, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. Um, we have a uh, prayer room that's opened after this uh, service is over. And I'd love to have some people just uh, come alongside and just explain a little bit more about that and pray with you as you're continuing to take the next step in your journey of faith. So let's pray together. Lord.